0: Good morning, church. If you would, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. And today we're going to be reading out of the New Testament Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And that's on page 473 in the blue Bibles that are in front of you. Uh, and we also always want to remind you guys: if you or someone you know needs a Bible, please feel free to take that that blue Bible home with you and, and uh, use it accordingly. So again, we'll be reading from the Book of Matthew, chapter six, starting in verse five. Now, hear the word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not like must not be like the hypocrites. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.
1: Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, we pray that um, in this year, in 2024, that you would do a work in us to make us a praying people if we are not a praying people. God, that you would take those of us who have tried to be diligent in our praying and make us uh, to pray more effectively, make us able to communicate with you and, and to realize with great Rejoicing what you have purchased through the cross and giving us access to the Father. And so Lord, we pray that you would just do a work through these truths that you taught so long ago on the side of that mountain that you would give us revelation and how to approach you in the time of prayer. And God, we, we pray that you would do a, a work, a miracle work in our hearing to hear, in this case, very familiar words as though we've never heard them before, that they would have new and fresh life for us. God, I pray that as I teach these words, God, that I would teach them in the fear and trembling of the Lord and, and that I would do so uh, with a, a great awareness of my weakness and an even greater awareness of your strength, O oh God. So, Lord, I thank you for this moment we have together. pray that you would bless it and um, and transform us through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Alright, well last week we began a series which I titled, On to Maturity. And I based that title on the words of the author of Hebrews when he tells his readers in in, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. And his point was... Although the elementary doctrine of Christ is vitally important, that it serves as an entrance point for all of us, as the, the the entrance point of knowledge and experience of Christ, that we were never intended to stay there being spiritual babies and you know drinking only spiritual milk, but we were to go on and enjoy the deeper, refreshing, strengthening meat of the gospel. And that was his point. There's nothing wrong with starting with milk. One of the first things we learn, our children are learning right now in the back, is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's one statement. But how many of you know, while there may not be more than that, that truth is a lot deeper than any of us, including myself, have ever discovered in this life? Amen? Amen? Thank you. so've got we 've got to pursue maturity we 've got to pursue depth we 've got to expand our diet to understand what the Bible is really telling us about all these wonderful truths and mysteries and last week, we saw that we have to go on to maturity first because it, our, our information comes from the Bible we have to go into maturity first in the way that we engage with the bible god 's written, and only infallible, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient revelation that he's given to us so that we might know him and so that we might, as we talked about last week, grow up into salvation. And such growth requires that we not only... Show up once a week to hear sermons, or maybe twice a week so we can hear a sermon and a teaching like on a Wednesday night. Vitally as important as that is. Um, Vitally important as for those of you who came to men's group yesterday or come to women's group every week on Wednesdays. Those things are vitally important, but it's not enough. It requires for us to really grow into maturity that we are willing to open the Bible for ourselves and that we discover the hidden treasures that it contains. The Bible talks about God's wisdom as 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 like jewels and, and precious metals that are hidden within a mountain. Well, you just don't walk on top of the mountain and start picking up gold nuggets and rubies. What do you have to do? You have to dig in there and find the treasure, the veins of gold that are in there. And that's what the Bible calls us to. And we do this, as we talked about briefly at the end last week by memorizing Scripture, and we've given you some tools even this morning to do that, meditating on Scripture. And I want to I just point out to you, and this is something should be a cause for rejoicing for all of us, that there has never been in all of human history, from the day God created Adam, more readily available tools for us to do these things, to memorize and meditate Scripture, be taught by Scripture. Never. There are books by the thousands, there's apps to assist us in our memorization. We have podcasts. We have a plethora of YouTube videos and go- from godly teachers that help us to meditate on scriptures without incurring any financial investment. This is not normal. It's unique in the history of the world. In centuries past the most dedicated Christians that existed were kept from even having a single copy of the scriptures, either by the decree of a wicked government or by the, by the sheer cost of acquiring something when books were way more expensive to print. But today... Right now, I I venture to guess that every single one of you has every single version and every translation available, every language, right here in your pocket. Do you realize what an incredible blessing that is to live right now in this time and have access to that kind of information, that kind of biblical truth? Last week I said that the very best way to grow an appreciation of the scriptures was to do so in community by attending services like this and more importantly small group Bible studies that afford you the opportunity not just to sit as as those who patiently listen, but it gives you the opportunity to ask questions and to share insights. And And in doing so, you will grow being nourished with the help of others. <clears throat> and so today... We're going to stay on the theme, but we're going to consider what it looks like to grow in communication with God through prayer. Now, prayer should be understood by the church as the ultimate privilege of the New Testament, New New Covenant believer. Why is that? Why wouldn't I say like going to heaven is the the ultimate, you know, uh, privilege? Uh, Because this is what I want you to understand. Christ's death Christ's burial, Christ's resurrection, made it possible for you to have immediate access into the holy of holies. Into the very presence of God. Now that may not seem like a big deal to you at all. You may be, as I always say, yawning your way through that reality. But I want you to just take a moment and think about how life... Religious life, spiritual life, in the New Testament was structured. Under the terms of the Old Covenant, God was understood to dwell in the portion of the tabernacle, and later the temple, that was called the Most Holy Place, or the Holy of Holies, as I said earlier. His dwelling was behind a very thick and heavy veil, behind which no one was permitted to enter. No one, except for the high priest... And him only once a year. And his entrance was intercessory. The the high priest came in in the role of an intercessor as he entered to make atonement for the accrued sins of God's people once a year. He prepared for this ministry through a series of intricate rituals. um, and, And if he failed in the smallest point in his preparation, the holiness of God would overwhelm him and he would be immediately struck dead. Now don't believe me? Flip open your Bibles. Leviticus chapter 10. What happened when Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, offered strange fire that God did not prescribe? What did God do to them? This was serious business. It wasn't flippant, now I lay me down to sleep type stuff. It wasn't God is great, God is good, let us thank him for His uh, our food type of stuff. This was like you are going as the high priest into the presence of the awesome and fearful great I am to do business for God's people. The Day of Atonement, which is dramatically described in Leviticus 16, what it did when the high priest went back is it temporarily, everybody say temporarily. That's an important word. Temporarily propitiated the wrath of God against the sins of the people. And it enabled them for that year to make personal sacrifices and to be heard by God when they cried out to Him with their petitions. So let's fast forward to the glory That is the New Testament. And this is where we find it. In Matthew 27. The Bible describes. In great detail. The death of Christ. And we read this detail. That Matthew inserts for us. That when Christ breathed his last. We read that the curtain of the temple. Was torn in two. Not from the bottom. From man's perspective to the top. Where God is. But from the top. To the bottom. God intervened and ripped that veil that kept people out of his presence in two. And so now we, we approach him having not been temporarily cleansed, but permanently cleansed from sin by the blood of a perfect eternal sacrifice. God's people are now granted access to His presence. We can speak with Him. We can have fellowship with Him. We can enjoy intimacy with God. And if you if you are so unmoved by that reality, just imagine living in the desert of the, of the Exodus, walking through the desert, and imagining the fearful majesty that dwelt above that tent that you could not get anywhere close to. And now that same God, not a new God, he invites you in. Don't you see what I'm trying to say? The great goal of Christ's work at Calvary wasn't primarily to save you from hell. It wasn't primarily even to forgive your sins. Now, don't misunderstand me. Your sins are forgiven in Christ. You have been saved from hell if you've been reconciled to God. But but the point of Christ's death, burial, and re- uh, resurrection was your reconciliation to God. It wasn't just to clean your slate so you could be doing off by yourself in solitary nature whatever you wanted to do. It was so you would be reunited with your Creator, your God, your King. That's what Christ died for. And of course you've been forgiven, you've been saved from hell, because those who are reconciled to God are reconciled to God because they're clean now. And those who are clean can't suffer eternal punishment. But the point, the rousing point of Christ's redeeming work on the cross was your reconciliation to God. And what is the benefit of that? When rightly understood, well it's this we don't tremble before God any longer wondering if we are going to die like Nadab and Abihu we come boldly the same writer in Hebrews chapter 4 says let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need I'm telling you You need that contrast, Old Testament, New Testament, so that you can rightly worship and rightly rejoice in what Christ has done for you. Through Christ, we come confidently, not tremblingly. We we don't come to an image of a manger or a cross, no matter how useful to God's purpose they were. But the Bible says in Hebrews 4, we come to the throne of grace. We come where the king is seated. We don't bring requests with halting words and knocking knees, hoping that we won't be turned away or consumed by his wrath. By the grace of God, we come to his throne. We come before his throne boldly as to an ever-flowing, rushing river of abundant mercy and grace to help us in all of our trouble. What a blessing. But if you're like me, (coughs) the meditation on those glorious truths, it, it just forces your hand. You have to ask yourself, if prayer is such a pinnacle blessing of the Christian life, why don't I pray more? Why is one of my chief sins prayerlessness? Why is that? Why, When I do try to pray, why does it seem so burdensome and unsatisfactory? I know because I know the kind of people you are and how godly you are. I know I'm probably the only one But if I can be honest with you, sometimes when I pray, you won't believe this. I know I may get fired after I tell you this, but sometimes when I pray, my mind wanders. And I'm thinking about things that have nothing to do with God or my request. And I'm wondering, how in the world did I get here? I know, I know, I know that's hard for you to understand. I know that. It's okay, though. Just have some mercy on me. I want to tell you that sometimes I've had a real intense desire to, to renew my prayer life. I get up early. You know, the Bible talks about early in the morning while I seek you, I get up early, and then I find, when I wake up from the nap that I inadvertently took, that the fire of my intention was not able to overcome the weight of my inability. I don't know, there may be one or two of you that can relate to me. Do you remember the words of the hymn? So familiar to the church, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Now, at this point, no one is amazed by my profundity. No one is thinking, wow, now that's some good preaching because you all know you should pray more. You all know that we are commanded, we are encouraged, we are called to pray more. You all know that. But so we've got to look at the, this problem from this perspective. We've got to ask the question, why can't we tackle the task of praying with more hope, with more gusto? And so we turn to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, and I think we'll find them incredibly instructive. He says this in the opening of our text today. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Let's break that down. Jesus says two very important things when he's introducing the topic of prevailing prayer into the lives of his disciples. Number one is simple. When you pray, he's saying, you ought to do it. You ought to pray. And second, he says, don't do it like hypocrites. Do it sincerely. So Christ begins by saying, when you pray, it is an assumption that you will pray. He'll similarly say in the same chapter, when you fast and when you give. Elsewhere in this chapter, he'll say those things. And Christ is saying that there are some things that are a necessary expectation in the life of a believer. Prayer is of paramount importance in this regard. We cannot live, we cannot thrive without it. My hero, Charles Spurgeon, said, As well could you expect a plant to grow without air and water as to expect your heart to grow without prayer and faith. How do you go on to maturity? You do it by prayer. You do it by faith. Christ commands us to be a praying people. (coughs) And yet I fear... That he finds us, like, finds many of us rather, like, like his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. Do you remember how that went for them? We're spiritually slumbering like they were, and we should be fervently praying. If we are committed in 2024 to greater spiritual maturity, we must pray. Now, The second thing that Christ instructs us us, is not only that we should be praying consistently, but he tells us how to pray by showing us how not to pray. You must not be like the hypocrites. And this is a demand for reverent sincerity. Faith-filled praying. Now, how do hypocrites pray? Verse 5 gives us part of the answer. It says, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen... By others, and truly I say to you, Christ says, they have received their reward. Now hypocrites will pray eloquently, practiced prayers, they'll pray publicly, because it gives them the opportunity to be seen. But Christ says that being seen and possibly praised by other frail creatures like themselves is all the reward that they can ever expect to receive. That little rush of pride, that little injection of ego that you get when somebody is delighted in your spirituality. They will not, however, be given a hearing ear by the Father. They will not be given a joyous answer to their request. They will not enjoy sweet fellowship with the Spirit. All they'll have is the joy of knowing that you heard them. Well, I don't want to assume your perspective, but here's mine. I'd much rather have confidence that I've been heard by God than that I've been heard by you. How then should we pray? Matthew 6, verse 6 tells us, But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret... Will reward you. Now, Christ is not saying that our prayers should never be open or corporate. If that were true, we've violated that rule several times this morning. But that our heart's motivation shouldn't be to advertise our own spirituality to other men and women, but to express greater closeness and and deeper trust to God. There are times. Even here, we'll we'll be something. I'll, I'll find out somebody's going through something or needs some counsel, and we'll be in a group like we would be this morning, and people will be talking to me, and I'll turn to somebody and I'll say, "Hey, can I talk to you for a second? And they'll they'll say yes, and so we'll go back to a back room, and I'll kind of share with them what's on my heart, and that's the that's the picture that Christ is giving to us about how prayer is. Listen, when I pray here uh, to you, it, I, I always want to be transparent. I don't pray to you. I guess I should correct that. Can you edit that out of the tape? When I, when I pray to God in front of you, then here's, here's what I want you to understand. I, I want to be transparent. I want to be vulnerable. I want you to see my weaknesses when I'm praying before you. And yet, I know that I will never speak as openly behind this mic as I will in private with God. Is that fair? Is that honest? And so sometimes I'll turn to somebody and say, hey, I want to talk to you. And I'll go and I will pour out my heart to them when we are alone, when we're private. And this is what Christ is saying. That your prayers behind this microphone or, or you know, over the dinner table at some restaurant, they will never go as far as they will when you are alone on your face before God pouring out your heart to him. And while hypocritical praying is its own temporary fleeting reward, faithful praying done in secret, the Bible tells us, is rewarded openly by God. What you will never hear me pray, you will see when the answer comes from God. That is the promise of this scripture. He grants, in my times of prayer alone with him, he grants deeper knowledge of himself uh, uh, that, that we're, we're seeking to cultivate when we're praying. He, he hears my prayer. He answers the secret whispers of my trusting heart when we're alone in our prayer. Jesus goes on in verse 7. He says, And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Hail Mary, full of grace, etc., etc., etc. If you have a Catholic background, you get where I'm going with that. Empty phrases. Nothing to them. But when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. This has reference in Jesus' time to the mantras that pagans would recite incessantly in their temples, to false idols who the Bible tells us can neither hear nor answer. And many Christians fall prey to the idea that God is only responding to intensity and repetition of prayers. I'll just keep saying it until God does something. When the Bible teaches over and over and over and over again consistently that God mercifully responds to simple faith. Jesus didn't say, if your your sweat isn't like blood, then God will hear you. He says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed, and it shall be done. Many Christians with the best intentions, again, I'm not accusing anybody here of this, but... Many Christians with the best intentions, including myself, fall into the trap of praying the same old things about the same old things. And we would (coughs) never consider in a Reformed church using the Episcopal Common Book of Prayer or Book of Common Prayer, yet we daily offer our petitions this way. We begin with the same words. We say the same words in the body of our prayer and we end with a half-hearted amen. In contrast, Christ calls us to a simple, trusting conversation with the Father. Do not be like them, the hypocrites that is, for your Father, listen to this, this will change your prayer life, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Man. Have you ever prayed like I do sometimes where you're rapidly with Morse code tapping out of telegram so God can move quick because He doesn't know what's going on? Nobody? What your Savior is telling you in verse 8 is that the primary motivation of prayer is not to inform God of anything. It has nothing to do with it. He already knows. But prayer is a way to approach God thankfully, expressing your full trust and your dependence on Him. God, I'm in this situation, but I lean on You. I trust in You because You've never failed me and I know that You won't fail me now. So I want to give you two suggestions for breaking the habit of praying the same old things about the same old things. You might want to write these down. First, when you have time to, for the type of prayer Jesus describes, you're getting alone, you're going to express your heart to the Lord, always begin prayer by cataloging the things that you can think of to thank God for before you ask for anything new. The Bible says that. Do you know that's biblical? Psalm 100. I will enter his gates with, with thanksgiving in my heart and enter his courts with praise. It talks about making an entrance with the two elements of thanksgiving and praise. And I guarantee you, I promise you, money-back guarantee, if you do that, your prayers will be energized. Why? Because you're not looking to God as some beggar that you've got to like get a couple nickels in your tin cup. You're looking to God who has already been so very good to you. And it changes Everything. When your perspective is, I'm coming boldly before his throne because he's proven time and time and time again his abundant gift of mercy and grace in my time of need. Second, instead of, in Jesus' words, heaping up old familiar phrases, begin the practice of praying the scriptures. Now, how does that look? Well, we demonstrated it. During our time of prayer together, but I want to I want to go through another passage. And so, if you would, I want you to look up uh, in your Bibles. Everybody, grab a Bible um, and look up Psalm 23. Everybody could, most of you at least could probably quote that from memory. But look up Psalm 23. Now, I want to give credit where credit is due. What the, this process that I'm going to walk you through comes from Donald S. Whitney's book called "Praying the Bible." Um, it's available for like ten bucks on Amazon. I don't get any uh, kickbacks for this, but I would encourage you to go buy that book if if you don't already have it. "Praying the Bible," Donald S. Whitney, and uh, and you'll find more detail on this. <coughs> but let's say you're you find yourself. Uh, stumbling and stammering through praying the same old things about the same old things, um, and and you just you feel like you know just worn out, like you haven't gotten anywhere in your prayer. I want to encourage you to begin today. Literally, I'd like for you all to go home today and start this process. So you're looking at Psalm 23. Your Bible's open there, and you read these words: "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." And so you begin, as we talked about, with thanksgiving. And you thank God. You say, God, thank you for the ways that you have cared for me, that you have been a faithful shepherd to me. Thank you that you have provided for me. Everything I've needed has been supplied richly by your hand. Acknowledge how that if you have Him, you have everything. God, I have you. You have been, you have not withheld any part of yourself from me. Therefore I shall not want for anything move on to verse 2 he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters thank him for all the ways he's given you grace that has resulted in rest for your soul god i thank you that no matter where i find myself in this life i'm i'm laying down in green pastures i'm, I'm plentifully supplied i rest in you O oh god and think about how, how His grace refreshes your thirsty souls. Jesus says in John 4, He says, If anyone drinks this water that I will give, he will never thirst again. And what is He promising in this verse? That He'll lead you beside a fountain of still waters that, that's abundant supply for you. Verse 3 He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Let me ask you, have you ever tried to pray when your soul was weary? Well thank Him that He is the one that restores your soul. God, I thank you that, that even in my worst, even when I am the most worn out and fatigued and sick and tired, God, you restore my soul. You restore my faith that when I am weak, then I am strong. God is my portion and the strength of my life, the scriptures tell us. Do you have a friend that's struggling with belief? Intercede for them to be restored to faith. And thank God that He can lead you away from all those pesky sins that trip you up constantly into the path of righteousness. And thank Him that He does so not primarily for your benefit, but for the glory and the honor of His great name. Lead me in paths of righteousness for your for the, your great name's sake. Verse four, very familiar. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Next, bring all your fears and your trials to God. Lord, this is going on at work. This is going on in my family. This is tearing up my relationships. But express to God that I know that even if this trial endures for a while, even if there's a journey through this valley, that you, O oh God, have promised not to forsake me. But you have a rod and you have a staff with which you will guide, you will protect, and you will correct me. And we could go on and on through the rest of the chapter, but the point is that the Scriptures can be an invaluable tool to help you pray not the same old things about the same old things, but fresh prayers about familiar themes. It doesn't mean that you stop praying for your family. You just let God's Word guide you in how you pray for your family. It doesn't mean that you stop praying for your needs. It's that you let the God's Word help you pray effectively for your needs. And you'll never run out of material, I promise you, you'll never run out of material to prompt your praying. Now this method, I want to say quickly that will work with any passage of scripture, but you should, everybody hear me on on this, (coughs) you should start with the Psalms. Because they were given to you as an inspired, (coughs) excuse me, inspired book of songs and prayer for the use of God's people. So give this a try this week. You can start with Psalm 1. You can start anywhere you want. You have a favorite Psalm, start with that. But sit down alone, turn the phone off, sit there and pray through the scriptures. And move and and, you know, move down the line. Just go to another one, go to another one. Just keep that habit up. And I will be amazed if you guys will do that, that somebody won't come to me next week and say, that changed everything. That that exploded my prayer life just by doing that in a good way. Now let's say that you come to something that you don't know how to pray. Maybe there's there's a a, a verse, I think it's in chapter 3, that talks about breaking the teeth of the wicked and things like that. There's some really troubling language in Psalm 137. You can look it up and you may go, I have no idea how to pray this. Whose teeth, God, am I supposed to pray that they get broken out of their mouth? But I want to tell you this, don't sweat that. This isn't Bible study. It's prayer, and both are valuable, you know that. We have a high emphasis on the Bible, but but they serve different purposes. So if you find that you say, I don't know, I have no idea why, why I'm supposed to pray this, just move on to the next verse. Move on to the next psalm, but keep... Going Pray the word of God. Don't worry about it. Don't get hung up and say, well, I have to quit now because I don't understand this. Listen, if Dave or Gabriel or I did that, we would never get through any book of the Bible because we're always having to think about things. But, but it's, it, it, remember, you're praying. You're not studying for the meaning. You're praying what God has given you. And let, let me just give you one more endorsement of this. How could you possibly imagine you can pray anything better than by reciting God's own words and his promises back to him? The mind... Will wander less and you will retain more of what you pray and most importantly, your prayer life will truly be a prayer life and not a prayer death. And the main thing is that you start somewhere and you commit to discovering or rediscovering the joy of confident praying and the, and, and how it how it just changes everything. And just like we've discovered pursue, about pursuing the Bible last week, remember that our prayers are often thre, strengthened when we have others to pray with. That's why the body of Christ is so important. I, I wish that I could urge you, every one of you, to find someone in this church that when you were going through stuff, instead of struggling alone, you were willing to pick up the phone. Not to be everybody, but to find a person where you could say, hey, can you just pray with me for a little bit? It will change everything. Everything. And you may not know it when you're going through something, but you're actually ministering to that person who gets the, uh, the, the joy of praying with you too. And if you can't find somebody to pray for you, find somebody to pray with. Change the way that you interact with each other and make prayer a priority in those relationships. <clears throat> now, Jesus closes our text today with a commonly known, what's commonly known to us as the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, if you're going to start a habit, and I hope you will, of praying the Bible, this passage is sanctioned by Christ himself to be used frequently, if not every single day. Now, Christ, who said to us not to heap up empty phrases in prayer, proves his wisdom, he proves his divinity by constructing this prayer with an astounding economy of words. I don't know if you counted, but the Lord's Prayer, as written in the ESV Bible, consists of just 52 words in four sentences. That's it. And yet it contains a totality of complete and effective praying. Let's, let's review it real quick. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This reminds us of who we are approaching and what his relationship does. He's not a distant potentate, but he is a father. It reminds us where he dwells, that he's enthroned in heaven. And it gives us an expression of his innate majesty, that he is hallowed, that holy and to be revered is his name. And this begins our prayer with meaningful worship like we talked about. Jesus goes on, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this calls us away from all of our selfish demands and self-importance and reminds us of the highest cosmic priority, his kingdom and his will. And we pray that our environment will be progressively reflective of the one in which he dwells on earth as it is in heaven. He then tells us to pray this, give us this day our daily bread. Sometimes this is where we start and where we finish. It's all we ever pray about is daily bread. But this is Christ's open invitation for us to bring earthly, temporal concerns to him, trusting him that he will tenderly hear us and respond to our need, never leaving us lacking what we need for our lives. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Fourthly, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors as He has invited us to bring our material needs to Him. He also invites us to appeal for His mercy for our sins and our transgressions. And may I remind you that Christ would never call us to pray for that which He was unwilling to freely give. Notice, however, that Christ says that our request for mercy should be made from a heart that also willingly forgives others, as we have forgiven our debtors. What a slight to His holiness that any would appeal to His throne for mercy, but they were unwilling to give that same mercy to another. Unforgiveness on our part indicates that we have no real concept of the sin debt that we have accrued before God's mercy. And those who have been so freely forgiven by God, should be able to forgive others. Amen? And this is why Christ amends the Lord's Prayer with a solemn warning. Verse 14, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And Christ stands, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is our petition for God's ongoing protection from the ravages of the world's seduction, the lusts of the flesh, and the attacks and accusations of the devil. He promises to be a shield about us, the glory and the lifter of our heads. Now may we all be a praying people who don't miss out on the opportunity for fellowship with the Almighty God that is afforded to us on this side of the cross. May we know Christ in a greater and greater degree as we proceed in the year ahead of us. Would you stand with me? (coughs) Lord, we thank you that you have called us to pray. You've called us to be people who are, um, God, just joyfully invited into your presence to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Lord, I pray that the words that we've shared this morning will go deep and that people will um, realign their lives, that they'll open the scriptures, begin to pray the scriptures, Lord. Begin to remember what exactly you have done that gives us access and the glory of that access that we have to the Father. So, Lord, we are helpless without you unless you become our help. So we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And when we to have our table uh, assistants at the, for the Lord's Supper come forward. Um, we will prepare. Uh, man, I just want to remind you, as we always try to encapsulate everything that was said in the sermon in the, uh, around the table of the Lord, remember that these elements that represent the sacrifice of the Lord were not just to give you a clean slate. They weren't to, you know, keep you from roasting in hell alone. They were to get you connected, reconciled, reacquainted to the Father, to enjoy fellowship with Him. And so, if anything should cause you to consume these elements with grateful hearts. That's the truth that should do it. And so I want to invite you um, in a moment to come. But before I do, I want to just encourage those of you who have not made uh, Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and and have not seriously pursued his commandments and, and his truth. Um, I'd like for you to refrain from coming to the table um, the Bible says that this would mean nothing to you. It means that uh, you could actually eat and drink condemnation upon yourself by partaking unworthily, and we would not want to encourage you to do that. So what we'll ask is that for you to know, first of all, that we're praying for you and that you really consider if you need to come and, and, and uh, uh, give your life to Jesus and not holding anything back, uh, because he gave his life to you, not holding anything back. And so um, if you'd like to talk about that, you can see Pastor Gabriel, Pastor David, or myself, and we would love to walk you through that. For the rest of you, come and receive these elements, and go back to your seats, and we'll take them together in just a moment. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake the bread together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's give thanks for the, the, take the cup and give thanks. Father, We thank you, Lord, for your provision of the body and blood of Christ, which offers us access to you, God, that we can come boldly before your throne and receive mercy and grace to find help in time of need. And so, Lord, we pray that this week would find us in great thankfulness and great worship doing that over and over and over and over again, and that our lives in Christ would be renewed and transformed to a deeper level of glory because we have taken access to the Father so seriously. So we thank you for this great gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would place your hands in a receiving position, I just want to read this benediction over you as I dismiss you. Philippians four six says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed.